Welcome to 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Each month, our hosts, Casey, Derek and Scott, take a look at the film catalogue of the legendary Hammer Films production, one picture at a time. Covering everything from the famous Hammer Gothic horror films to their science fiction films, their thrillers, their film noirs and comedies, this podcast will offer critical opinion, production notes and historical facts about the films that make Hammer great. Make yourself comfortable, have a cup of tea, and welcome to 1951 Down Place. Ahoy, be mateys, and welcome to SS 1951 Down Place. I am Captain Criswell, and I am here to introduce you to our newest voyage. With me this month is Bosun Morris and Cabin Boy Cook. As we set forth on the briny seas of time and celluloid to 1962 to take on Hammer Films, The Pirates of Blood River. Arg. To set the mood, I've sent Bosun Morris out to find us some sea shanties to play in the background. But I must warn yous, we've been kind of light on our booty as of late. So... I'm not sure what kind of licensing fees we could, uh, cover. Let's see what he found. I swear, I only took the boy on because... I owed his mother a favor. Oh, boys and Morris. Anyways, mates, sit back and tuck in and grab a paddle as we begin to row out of harbor to take on 1962's Pirates of Blood River. Never mind the fact that we don't have a boat. There's that booty problem again. But in the meantime, you won't be working the oars alone because we'll have... Some of the 1951 down-place favorites, such as Christopher Lee, Oliver Reed, Andrew Kerr, Michael Ripper, joining us and putting their backs to the task. And Ollie's part of the reason that we're having booty problems as well, because I have to keep playing more rough. Damn it, Ollie. But anyways, let's go find Cabin Boy Cook, because he's trying to prove himself. And get off of his, uh, swabbing the poop deck duties. So he told me that, you know, despite our booty problems, that he would write a sea shanty for us that would be worthy of a swarthy crew such as ours. So let's see what he's come up with, shall we? Very model of a modern major general. I've information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England, and I quote the fight historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I'm a very well acquainted you with matters mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. A barbanimal theorem, I'm teeming with a lot of you. Oh, bloody hell. I quit. I'm gonna go work the dar at Walmart. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. 
You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic, and sometimes not-so-classic, monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio! This is The Count, and I welcome you to 1951 Down Place, your home for Hammer Films discussion. I must apologize for not being here to greet you personally, but I trust you found everything you needed. If you need anything, my servants Casey, Derek, or Scott can assist. Thank you. Long-time listeners of 1951 Down Place, long-time fans of Hammer Films, and well, people just in the know, know that Hammer Films did more than just horror films. Of course, they did some science fiction films, some other speculative fiction-type stories, but they also did Robin Hood-style films, film noir, and the occasional pirate film. And we're talking about one of the pirate films here on this episode. Quartermass and the Raining uh, Piranhas, right? Quartermass and the Raining Piranhas. This was actually their first pirate film. Y'all interrupted my flow, man, but no, take it away, please. I had to get my Quatermass in there. You're the one that brought up Hammer and Sci-Fi. We could tie them all together. I thought Scott's the one that brings up up Quatermass. It's a new us. It is my Quatermass, so. That's true, Quatermass (laughs) is in the film. The Pirates of Blood River from 1962, as Scott said, the first pirate film. They did a total of three. Pirates of Blood River, Captain Clegg, which we covered, and I don't remember the episode number uh, already. And then, uh, was it the Devil Ship Pirates? Is that the third one? I believe so. And we've already started talking about the cast. You mentioned Christopher Lee. We mentioned Andrew Keir, Scott Quartermass. You know what? Why don't we introduce ourselves first? I think the cast of 1951 Down Place needs a little bit of a shout-out. Scott, how are you? I'm doing amazing. How are you, Derek? <laughs> I'm great. Casey, how are you? Arg, I'm doing all right. You know, I expected Scott to be the first one to do that. <laughs> Scott and I decided we're going to change personalities this year. Change things up a little bit. Wow. What sort of four-sided triangle mess is this? 
And <laughs> also, uh, Captain Clegg was episode number 33 back in May 2014, which was a special crossover episode with my Disney Indiana podcast, where we also there covered Dr. Sin. You know, you think with the titles, Dr. Sin would have been with us, Captain Clegg would have been on Disney's side, but nope. Nope. Dr. Sin, alias the Scarecrow. <laughs> That's right. We did do that, didn't we? And we had your lovely wife, Tracy Morris, joining us as well, uh, who uh, I'm assuming watched the movie with you as well, Scott. So I'm sure we'll get some thoughts on that viewing experience. This was a first time watch for you, right? That is correct. First time I'd ever seen this film. Casey? Yep. Me too. Me three. Although it's been in my DVD collection forever. <laughs> Uh, it's part of the Icons of Adventure pack, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. I'm not sure what else is on there, but it is part of that pack. Let's see, it's a two-DVD set from Sony. It includes the films, The Devil Show Pirates, like we mentioned, The Stranglers of Bombay, and what I'm assuming is probably not the most PC of films, The Terror of the Tongs. I have no money. I have nothing for you. You must be made to respect the Red Dragon, Suyen. There's nothing... This was Hong Kong at the turn of the century, when the terror of the Tong spread like an evil growth across the Orient. Hong Kong, with its dancing girls, its vice-ridden hideouts, and its secret societies, embracing 100 years of terror. Uh, the box set does have a picture of the amazing Christopher Lee on the cover. I'm assuming it's Christopher Lee from the Pirates of Blood River, although they have colorized it a little bit. He's not wearing black. He's wearing this lovely shade of purplish blue. Yes, and it is available on Amazon for a grand total of $15.54. Four movies. Four movies. Or if you wish, you can buy the movie itself without the other three movies, and it's nineteen ninety nine. I'd suggest getting the four movies. <laughs> yeah, why, why would you do that? Less than four bucks a pop for this set. And it's a good set. I have all four. I, I have the Icons of Adventure. They also are the Icons of Suspense and Icons of Horror set from Sony as well. Good stuff. Good good DVDs to add to your collection so that you can watch movies like this for 1951 downplays. And uh, wow. Uh, like, said, like we said, it was a first time viewing for all three of us. So I'm real eager to see what you guys thought of the film. But, of course, we should probably talk more about the cast since we kind of sidetracked a little bit. Christopher Lee, you can't top Christopher Lee in a leading role. You just can't. Unless it's Peter Cushing or Scott Baio. Well, okay, that's true. And I was, gonna, I was wondering how long it was going to take us to bring up Scott Baio because I think that man needs to play a pirate. I would see anything that man does. <laughs> <laughs> is there a Scott Baio fan club? There is now. There should be. <laughs> hey, that man sent me a Christmas card this year. He sent me an autographed picture. <laughs> that man's amazing. He's so dreamy. <laughs> oh, okay, so Christopher Lee, but no Peter Cushing. But we do have Michael Ripper. And Oliver Reed. And Andrew Keir. Quite a few Hammer regulars or, or semi-regulars, right? Yes. And then Sinbad shows up. Sinbad. Really? The, uh, the 90s comedian? Yes. Star of Jingle All the Way. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't remember him seeing seeing him in the version I watched. Wasn't he in that? No. You must have had a special edition. Sure. No, he's in it. He's the freaking mailman, isn't he? The mailman? He's in a mailman. He's in Jingle All the Way. Don't you be messing with me and my son. No, I meant this for this film. <laughs> I meant Pirates oh. of the Water. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's in Jingle All the Way. <laughs> Ooh, 
we're off to a hell of a start. <laughs> we are doing great. No, I see. You're thinking about Kerwin Matthews. Kerwin. Kerwin. <laughs> Kerwin Matthews, star of the seventh voyage of Sinbad, Jack's the Giant Killer, the Three Worlds of Gulliver, and Octoman. Yeah, well, they say the octopus is supposed to be the most intelligent species in the, in the ocean. You ever seen anything like that before? Never. It must be a hybrid of some sort. Even a mutation. Let's go back to where you found it, Mort. I said you wouldn't want to leave these parts just yet, didn't I, Rick? <laughs> oh, Octoman. You forgot the boy who cried werewolf. Well, that's true. It looks like he did some quality films here at the end. I actually like Octoman quite a bit. Anyway, he's in this film as well, and it's after the seventh voyage of Sinbad, so he's probably our... I don't know if Amherst following the tried and true formula for them where they cast an American in a lead role. I'm assuming he's American. Well, they also not only hired him, but there's also Glenn Corbett, another American. That's right. Glenn Corbett from a lot of TV. A lot of TV. Yes. Lots of TV. Including Route 66. And The Fall Guy. Mm -hmm. And Dallas. Wow. Look at you guys. Either you're very prepared or you have the IMDb up. <laughs> I read good. Is he also one of your Disney connections, Scott? He is. Look at that, huh? Uh, actually, <laughs> he. I would probably know him most from just because I'm that kind of dork. He was in Star Trek, the original Star Trek, and he played Cochrane before that character kind of got retconned and played by the guy from Babe, whose name is slipping my mind right now. <laughs> yes, in oh, no. the 1967 episode Metamorphosis. Yeah. Oh, but the, the guy, the guy from Babe, what is wrong with me? Because he would play Cochran in Star Trek uh, 8. James Cromwell. Anyway, he's not in the film, uh, but Glenn Corbett is. Is Cromwell in Jingle All the Way? He's seen good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Listeners, this is why you come back for this, right? I know this episode is going to be going out late. I hope it was worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to dive into our connections or hey, you know what let's talk about crew actually why don't we do that we are all over the place aren't we it's been too long since we've done this i feel like i feel way out of practice well because we did the december episode early and we're doing the january episode late so yeah it has been a while it's like a brand new thing yeah john gilling is the director of the film john gilling another hammer mainstay ish did things like the mummy's shroud and a film that I don't know if it's still in my top five or not. The Plague of the Zombies. It might have been bumped. It is not in your top five. It's a good film, though. Yes, it is. John Gilling is uh, somebody who really took a liking to Oliver Reed during the production of the film and tried to cast Oliver Reed quite a bit, according to Oliver Reed, anyway. Can you imagine that conversation? I'm pretty great, so. <laughs> Which, you know, I could totally believe that Oliver, Oliver Reed would do that, would say that. That, that oh, yeah. is how a lot of conversations with him probably started. In a bar. In a bar, right before he tried to pick a fight. You know, for fun. You remember how great I was in Pirates of Blood River? Sure, Ollie. Sure, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the film was written, or not necessarily written, but the credits say the idea came from Jimmy Sankster, another one of our Hammer mainstays. We talk about him quite a bit. At one point, Jimmy Sankster was telling people that he actually wrote the movie. He wrote an early treatment for the film. If you read his autobiography, he does mention that, you know, uh, sorry if I told people I wrote it. I, apparently I didn't. 
which is kind of nice, you know, kind of taking ownership for not really taking ownership. In the book Hammer's Film Legacy from Quatermass to Devil's Daughter by Wayne Kinsey, he actually goes into a little bit of uh, the original draft of the film, the uh, the pirate Doom as the main pirate. Doom? Doom, yes. Oh, Doom. I want to live in a world in which Chris Lee played a character named Doom. Now, in his autobiography, Do You Want It Good or Do You Want It Tuesday, he mentions that Michael Carreras told him he wanted a pirate picture, but was he was told Hammer couldn't afford a boat, so uh, go to it. He did call it a challenge. Well, we also can't go to a tropical island. We're going to make a pirate movie, but uh, we got pirates. <laughs> we don't have a boat. We don't have an island. Um, we don't have Johnny Depp. What are we going to do? Where's all the rum gone? Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what? I'm pretty great. <laughs> Anybody else we want to talk about real quick before we get some connections? Man, we're just diving right in, man. We're just plowing ahead. Sometimes you just have to plow on ahead. <laughs> it's the best course of action. Damn the torpedoes. Full speed ahead. I'm just waiting for the part we get to talk about uh, Christopher uh, Lee's accent. <laughs> I cannot affect a French accent because if I could... Man, I, I would be all over doing just French. Just, I can do, oh, that's about as French as I get. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui. oui, oui, oh. Well, isn't he fluent in French? Yeah. I don't, I, I didn't think it was that off putting. Oh, I loved it. I yeah. really loved it. It seemed a little more subdued for Lee. I, I always view Lee as somebody who does things all the way, you know, and, and in this one, he seemed to pull it back a little bit, which was kind of nice. I thought his accent was fine, but when you're building up this big pirate movie and they're taking you into uh, meet the big, bad, scary uh, pirate captain who's dressed in all in black and he opens his mouth and says, Parlez-vous, Barnsé? It's a little off-putting. <laughs> My name is La Roche. I understand that you live on this island. That you have been in a penal settlement where you have been undergoing punishment. Where is the main settlement? Yeah. <laughs> we are going to throw Z into the brig. <laughs> yes, I feel like I'm in Paris. Hit us with some connections, man. Okay, let's start off with some James Bond connections. Da-da-da. Uh, of course, we've got to go with the late, great Sir Christopher Lee once again, playing uh, Captain LaRoche here in the Pirates of the Blood River. He was also the titular character in 1974's The Man with the Golden Gun. As we've mentioned in the past, he's also the cousin to James Bond creator Ian Fleming. Also in the film is Desmond Wilkinson Llewellyn who is uncredited in Pirates of Blood River, playing Tom Blackthorne. James Bond fans will know him better as Major Boothroyd or Q, the, the quartermaster to 007 for 17 James Bond films. He's appeared in more Bond films than any other actor. Next, we have Jim O'Brady, another uncredited actor playing a pirate in the film. He appeared in 1963's From Russia With Love as an unnamed henchman. 
Another uncredited actor playing a pirate is Ernie Rice. He also appeared in 1963's From Russia With Love as a Gypsy and in 1967's Casino Royale as a casino patron. Now, one other connection I want to mention is Bob Simmons. Now, he's listed as Horse Master and Master of Arms on the set of Pirates of Blood River. Really? Really. Now, wait, wait till you hear what Mr. Simmons went on to do, though. Okay. He would go on to be a stuntman or stunt coordinator for each James Bond film, starting with the first Albert R. Broccoli-produced film, Dr. No, in 62, until his death in 1987. Oh, wow. That's pretty impressive. Except for 63's From Russia With Love. Technically, Bob Simmons is the first man seen as Bond by audiences in a Broccoli-produced film, as he doubled for Sean Connery in the opening gun barrel sequences for the first three James Bond films. Wow. He also played a Spectre agent in the pre-title sequence of 1965's Thunderball. Wow. Now, Disney connections, we've got a couple of those as well, starting with uh, Sir Christopher Lee. He uh, worked with Disney as Dr. Victor Gannon in Return from Witch Mountain. He was the voice of Ansem the Wise in the Kingdom Hearts video game series. He is also uncredited for work as Dracula in the 2012 animated feature film Frankenweenie. Does that count? (laughs) They used film from the original Dracula Hammer film. Yeah. And he also provided the voice of the Jabberwocky in Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. You're not going to mention Captain America 2? Uh, <laughs> I didn't put it down this time. But <laughs> yes, he was in Captain America 2, Death Too Soon, as Miguel. <laughs> and he does a better French accent than he does a Spanish accent. <laughs> <laughs> so he went to the Sean Connery School of Spanish Accents. That's what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. Now our lead, <laughs> Kerwin Matthews playing Jonathan Standing, also played Jonathan Strauss Jr. in the 1963 Walt Disney Wonderful World of Color TV film The Waltz King. Mm. Glenn Corbett, who played Henry, also appeared on Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color in 69, playing Tom Evans in The Secret of Boyne Castle. And Jim O'Brady, another uncredited actor playing a pirate in the film, also appeared in Disney's 1950 film Treasure Island as Wolf. And thanks once again to Don Falcos. We've got some Doctor Who connections for the Pirates of Blood River. And uh, to those that are following 1951 Down Place on Facebook, I am going to butcher Doctor Who names once again. It's the best part. This is what I live for. (laughs) First, we have uh, Christopher Lee. We've mentioned him previously. Uh, see the podcast Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. In the Doctor Who novel The Wages of Sin, a character expects the bad guy to look like a suave and demonic Christopher Lee, and she's surprised to the, that he looks completely different. Oliver Reed also has a tenuous Doctor Who connection in the Doctor Who novel Monogra, which takes place in Europa during the 33rd century. Genetic material from the body of Oliver Reed is used to create a replica of Athos reads character from The Three Musketeers in 1973. Andrew Keir, playing uh, Jason Standing, played Weiler in The Dalek Invasion Earth 2150 AD, which of course starred the great Peter Cushing. That's one of mine and Casey's favorite movies. 
right? Yes. Which you guys covered on Monster Kid Radio. Uh, last year in August, we covered it. And which makes me sad because now Casey, of the two of us, he's appeared on Monster Kid Radio the most recent. Oh, don't worry. He'll, he'll take forever to get him back on. <laughs> yeah. We have another movie picked out. Oh, that's so, right. So we, we should be good for like 2017. We, we do, don't we? I totally forgot. <laughs> We're going to have to talk off mic. I can't remember which movie it was. I know it was something with like a, a big hairy thing. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about Casey's beard? You know that? Maybe that's it. <laughs> My beard is delightful. Thank you. <laughs> and it smells like bourbon. Can't go wrong there. You always smell like bourbon, though, don't you? <laughs> Ollie. <laughs> Oh, back to the Doctor Who connections with John Bennett, playing a penal colony guard in Pirates of Blood River. He also played... He, he, he said penal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Here we go. <laughs> See, I was waiting for you to do that when Scott mentioned the titular whatever earlier. But <laughs> I, no. I debated it then, too, but I wasn't thinking quick enough. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, John Bennett played General Finch in The Evasion of the Dinosaurs and Lee Chang in The Talons of Wen Chang. Bill Brandon, playing a pirate, was an uncredited extra in Marco Polo. John Collin, playing Lance, played Brock in The Leisure Hive. Michael Mulcaster played several uncredited roles on Doctor Who. Michael Peake, playing Kemp, played Travis in The Romans, or Trevaeus, probably. And Keith Pilot played Otlock in the Aztecs. That's our Doctor Who connections for the Pirates of Blood River. And I apologize for the all, all of the mispronunciations. I live for that, man. <laughs> Love it. And uh, as people out there can probably tell that are Doctor Who fans, I don't watch Doctor Who. But I have played the Lego Dimensions game. That's awesome. Casey, do you play the Lego games? I do. Have you played Lego Dimensions? Because the Doctor Who stuff is fun. I haven't. It's been on our radar, though. Oh, it's a blast. It really is making me want to go back and watch Doctor Who. So, nice. hey, there's a win, right? Much like playing Rock Band it got me into listening to Iron Maiden. Video games are good for something, kids. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and before we get too much farther into the Pirates of Blood River, I do want to mention the original New York Times review. And okay. seeing as the two of you have watched the film, I want to read this review and tell me what you think. In this high sea adventure, a wicked, one-eyed, one-armed pirate forces a young man who was wrongfully imprisoned to take him and his band to his Caribbean island home where the pirate believes great treasure is buried. Once there, the pirate begins fighting for control of the island and begins slaughtering the lad's family and friends. The young man is utterly appalled with his stepsister, a young woman and her beloved somehow escapes. Later, the pirate discovers a large statue of pure gold, and he and his men haul it to the beach and put it on a raft. As they are floating towards the ship, they are ambushed by the man and the other survivors, causing the precious statue to fall overboard and sink to Davy Jones' locker, while the pirate is killed. Later, the survivors return to their ravaged home. Did this guy actually watch the movie? Yeah, I don't remember. I thought Christopher Lee had both his arms, though. No, he, he well, he does have them, but one of them is withered, right? Uh, yeah, and I, didn't I don't, catch that. yeah, and I don't remember them attacking the raft while it was floating down the river. They attacked before the or just as the thing was being launched. True, and the whole Davy Jones locker thing—that's yeah. that's the bottom of the ocean, right? Exactly. Not the bottom of a bog or a swamp <laughs> or the river, the blood yeah, river. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. And I don't remember the island being Caribbean with pine trees. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Now, I'd have to go back and double check. This movie was released on a double feature with Mysterious Island. Could he be mixing up some details? I Could wonder. Could be which was the biggest uh, double feature in England for the year. That's pretty crazy to think about, actually, I think. Because um, when I think Harryhausen films, I don't think it would be a good mix with this one. <laughs> but I would have gone. We would have made a field trip of it. Come on. <laughs> it would have been awesome. The Concorde was flying then, right? We could have just hopped on it. Sure. It probably shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that when it comes to my books dealing with movies, my movie reference library most of them are about monster movies so i don't have like a lot of books about pirate films i have no books about pirate films i'd be willing to bet that scott probably has more books about pirate films and that's just because of the disney thing so i went online and tried to find some information about this film and i stumbled across an episode of trailers from hell covering this film have either one of you seen that yes i did no. watch that i found did it you watch well. it yep. yeah no it's pretty cool it's uh, trailers from hell is the series that joe dante launched which at first, just looked at uh, some of these older, mostly monster movies at the time, right? That's how they started, with a little bit of commentary from either Joe Dante or one of his friends. They've kind of evolved over the years and have brought in a lot of other movies. And they had director Brian Trenchard Smith come on and talk about this film. And in his piece, he talks about seeing it as a kid and how much fun they had. In the August school holidays of 1962, I saw Pirates of Blood River double-billed with Ray Harryhausen's Mysterious Island. I was in 16-year-old Seventh Heaven, and Pirates had an above-average level of blood for a U-certificate film. But he also mentions that originally this film should have been a lot bloodier, and they kept cutting it back and cutting it back and cutting it back, practically neutering most of this film. But he talks about the piranha scenes being bloody and you know, long dwelling shots on people's legs after they've been hung. And all of this had to be cut. And eventually they got it cut back enough to where the ratings board gave it a U rating, which I assume is a G, the equivalent of a G for us back then. For the first time they went for the review for the rating, it did get their version of an X because of the violence. And they as in Hammer, decided that they were trying to go after the same children's market that Disney had been going after mm -hmm. and with Treasure Island. And, and they wanted to make a Pirates film that kids could see. So that's the reason why they decided to do, to do all these cuts. And yes, I did read that the Piranha scene at the beginning of the film was much more bloody originally. And I would kind of like to see the original film. In some of these things, there was also a lot bloodier death for Captain LaRoche as well, from what I've read. Yeah, his death is a little... Wah, yeah, that was wah. pretty weak. <laughs> but they were going after what they call the school holiday in England, which I'm assuming is like summer vacation. Yeah, that was, I was going to ask if either, either one of you knew what that, but I'm assuming it's summer as well, because it was released in July. So. so yeah, they were trying to go for the kid audience because they had seen what Disney had been doing from what I've read. Wouldn't you want that money? Yeah. I mean, and especially after, I don't know if you'd call it a close call, but, you know, it's not like Disney was not on Hammer's radar. We talked about Captain Clegg earlier. They changed the title of that film so they wouldn't get in trouble or cause any red flags to go up when it came to Disney's film, Dr. Sin. So, uh, you know, I'd like to see some of this stuff, too, um, not because I'm a sicko like Scott who wants to watch girls get eaten up by piranha, but I'd just like to see films in their original state. I don't know what to say to that. I I do like Piranha. You only like Piranha because of the movie The Toy. 
right? Oh, God, I hate honest. that film. <laughs> they showed us that movie in grade school. I don't know why, especially because of the one scene with the painting and the nudity, but <laughs> it was like a holiday treat. Let's bring everybody, all the kids into the auditorium and show them the toy. <laughs> Made quite the impression on me. It used to be we had all the high ploy from town here in the stream. Yeah. Yeah. Hoy they ploy. were swimming, picnicking, leaving their beer cans all over the place. So Daddy bought a whole bunch of piranhas. What? You know, the first week they were here, a cow went in there. All gone. Somebody's cow got eaten in there. I gotta pull my boots up real high, you know. What do you mean? Because the bullshit is getting thick. There are no piranha in there. I'm not kidding you. There are piranha in there. Piranha, South America can't live here. I'm not going in there, Jack. There are piranha in I'm there. I'm gonna go in there because I. You put a whoopee cushion under me. No, I'm you not, throw stuff Jack, over me. There's Jack, nothing I'm not, here. Look, no piranha. Yes, I'm not kidding you. There are piranha in there. There are no piranha. I want to get back to the Oliver Reed story, too, where Oliver Reed talks about how he and John Gilling got along. John Gilling was super impressed with him. Oliver Reed tells a story that they were doing a scene that required a lot of action. There are a lot of stuntmen, that sort of thing. And I don't have a lot of details on it, but I don't know which scene it was. But apparently they were supposed to charge something. Uh, I, I have actually that's referenced in the Hammer story, the authorized history of Hammer films by Marcus Hearn and uh, Alan Barnes. Yeah, and, and they have a quote from Oliver Reed in here on okay. that. Oliver Reed said that, I remember once on the Pirates of Blood River, the stuntmen wouldn't jump over a bank or something. I went charging over the bank with my sword in my mouth, followed by a medical student who was one in the crowd. All the stuntmen stopped. They wouldn't do it. John Gilling, who was the director, fired them all. And from that time on, he thought I was really quite something because I would do things that stuntmen wouldn't do. It was only because I was stupid. <laughs> Oh, Ollie. An inspiration to us all. I liked him in this. I was about to say his role seems to be pretty in the background. He doesn't try to hog up the camera too much. But then the fist fight in the water popped into my brain. <laughs> Good God, he's walloping on that other dude. Yep. Was he the blonde pirate? He was uh, Brocare, which I don't know if they ever actually mention his name. He's not one who makes it to the end of the film. No. Uh, some of the other standouts, you know, mentioned Michael Ripper was in the cast. And, of course, Michael Ripper, he's he's the man. But he was the most pirate of the pirates because he was using, you know, Beatty and Landlubber and, you know, all the pirate terminology more than anybody else. Well, hello, Beatty. What do we got here? What eh? vessel are you from, huh? Oh, for sure. Maybe an eagle dropped you, eh? Who fired that shot at you? And... and- I mean, maybe we're going to start getting into the story here, but he's also the one who kind of does the most pirate thing of them all <laughs> by, by encouraging mutiny. Yes. The Pirates of Blood River, Thunderers of the Caribbean, Gold crazy brigands who lived by pillage and terror, and only one man stood between them and the gold they sought. Our terms for leaving you unmolested are very simple. 
There is no treasure. Each day that you remain silent, two of you will hang, starting from now. Starring Kerwin Matthews, who defied an implacable justice. Come on. Who escaped the living death of a chain gang to become hostage to the scourge of the Seven Seas. However, there's one thing I will not tolerate, and that is mutiny. Time up. Glenn Corbett, the man who loved peace and fought to keep it. Christopher Lee as the infamous pirate captain La Roche. Also starring Marla Landy in a swashbuckling adventure as big as a screen can hold. Mr. Hench, you will see to it that no one remains alive. Guard the door! No one is to escape! Are you ready for the plot summary? Hit it up. All right. Arr, Arr, let's do it. <laughs> Drop um. it like it's hot. <laughs> That's not a very pirate thing to do. Arr, drop it like it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Avast there. It'd be too late to alter course, mateys, and be plundering pirates lurking behind every cove, okay, waiting wait, wait, to board. Wait, wait, wait. Are you going to do the entire piece like that? I don't know. Maybe. Because that would be amazing. <laughs> Sit closer together and keep your ruddy hands in board. That'd be the best way to repel borders. And mark me words, mateys, dead men tell no tales. Ye come seeking adventure in salty old pirates, eh? Sure ye come to the proper place, but keep a weather-eyed open, mates, and hold on tight, with both hands if you please. There'll be squalls ahead, and Davy Jones waiting for them that don't obey. You guys probably don't even recognize that, do you? I don't care. Just keep going. <laughs> keep doing it. <laughs> Our, the film begins in the village of Hubnots <laughs> on the English Isle of Wight, where we meet our hero Jonathan Standing. It seems he's making time with a woman who's married to a much older community leader. Well, the couple has been discovered by the elders out in the woods, including Jonathan's father, Jason. The woman runs away straight into the river where she's eaten by bloody piranha. The town elders convict Jonathan of breaking one of the Ten Commandments, and he be sent to a penal colony. <laughs> I am loving the hell out of this plot synopsis. This is the best. Well, Jonathan ain't too happy about the forced labor in prison and promptly escapes. But lucky or unlucky for him, a band of matey pirates arrive, trudging through the rivers and over the hills on the way to grandma. I mean, on the way in search for treasure they hear buried there. <laughs> the leader is a matey might man, Captain LaRoche played by Christopher Lee. He's a ruthless French seafarer with an eye patch. He's joined by many others, but chiefly his first mate, Mr. Hench, and the young, impetuous Brocare, and including the loud and feisty lawyer Mac, 
LaRoche makes about as nice as a ruthless, cold-hearted pirate can be and cuts a deal with Jonathan. In exchange for the Huguenots not telling anyone LaRoche and his crew use the cove as a rest stop, he will help Jonathan make it home. Well, the deal goes out the window as soon as Jonathan leads them towards the settlement. The bloody pirates start killing and making demands about a treasure they claim to be within the town. Jonathan knows they're mad that there is no treasure in town, but that doesn't stop this motley band of cutthroats from laying siege to the town. The townsfolk rally to their own defense and seem to be holding their own against the bloody pirates. But their wooden walls were meant to defend against wild animals and jungle critters, not well-armed pirates. LaRoge and his gang soon capture the town, promising to hang two people a day until the elders give up their treasure. I need to get a drink. <laughs> Are the first night in control of the town, the pirates do what pirates do. They get drunk and charge at women, all under the watchful eye of Captain LaRoche. Soon there is the beginnings of a fight between Mr. Hench and Brocare, as both men claim... Both men lay claim to Jonathan's sister Bess as their own. LaRoche stops the men and forces them to fight with cutthroat swords. Blindfolded with the one that survives, gets the trophy of Bess. Now, while this fight is going on, Jonathan and his friend Henry meet outside to plan on springing ten lucky townsfolk. Because they only have ten horses. <laughs> Henry tells Jonathan that, that there is treasure in town... And Jonathan's father is the only one that knows the location of the booty. Once the fight ends, Bess runs outside, followed by the winner, Mr. Hench. Jonathan and Henry subdue Hench and kill two of the pirates in charge of guarding the residence. Ten make their escape into the forest. The pirates come running out to recapture Jonathan, who wanted to stay behind to help the others. He makes a deal with LaRoche, saying he is the only one that can convince his father to give up the location of the gold. LaRoche gives him the night to talk to his bloody father. LaRoche spies on the talk and notices that the father is looking at the statue of the town's father many times. The next morning, LaRoche brings the entire town into the meeting area and says he knows where the treasure is, and if he's right, the pirates will leave. But if he's wrong, oh boy. <laughs> LaRoche orders his men to bring down the statue as he thinks the treasure is buried underneath. The men dig, but find nothing. So LaRoche orders his men to kill every bloody soul. During the panic, Jonathan realizes that the statue is the treasure. It's made of pure gold. LaRoche stops his men and orders his men to carry the statue back to the ship and take Jonathan and his father with them as hostages. How much farther do we want to go in this bloody tale? Well, and then the Ewoks show up and stop the pirates, right? Yep. I had okay. the same thought. <laughs> do we want to keep going? I, I think we're probably good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do want to comment on some things that happened at the very end, but uh, no, that's that's good. Scott, well done. 
And the the very beginning, uh, that's actually from the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. I figured as much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my throat hurts. (laughs) Yeah, you need a drink? Yes. Make like Oliver Reed's. Casey and I will talk like the movie. (laughs) Overall thoughts, guys. What did you think? I cannot get over the fact, and I don't mean this as a slight to Scott, but this movie felt like a Disney movie. How is that a slight to Scott? Disney's okay, right? Well, that's usually, that's not always a good connotation for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I can see that. I can, I can really yeah. see that. In the sense of a pirate movie, I was hoping for something you know a little grittier, probably a little more violence, but it seemed kind of uh, clean. I think that goes back to the issues we were talking about before, where they were really striving for that universal rating. Yeah. How how do you have a pirate movie featuring Christopher Lee and make it so bloodless? Right, and the little blood you have is bright pink. Oh yeah, and I don't <laughs> know is that is that just a a sign of the times? Is that it? Very well could be. I mean, this was Hammer in the early days, so who knows? Well, not really that early. I mean, it's the sixties, but true. But yeah, I agree with you. I had the same issues with the blood. I thought the cast was pretty cool. I mean, we got like. With the exception of Cushing, Hammer's greatest hits here. Oh, I love the cast. I was a big fan of Christopher Lee in this film. Oh, I, I yeah. know I know we've touched on his why is there a French pirate? But I thought he was great. And I love the the calculatingness that he was. I mean he was you know, the the one comment where he was talking about not killing unless it's necessary, that whole speech I thought was really good. How many firearms do you suppose your friends have? Mr. Sandy. If you want to save them from complete annihilation, go and talk to them. Tell them that if they resist me, they can expect no mercy. Tell them to let us in. So that you can rob them of their possessions and then slaughter them all anyway. If I kill, it is to achieve a purpose, not for the sake of killing. You have my word on that. Your word? Well, Mr. Standing. As you say, if they resist, the result will be the same. A wise deduction. I wish you every success. I just enjoyed every moment that he was on the screen. He was obviously the smartest man in the room most of the time. Yeah. But then I also really enjoyed Michael Ripper, especially at the end. And who will be next? Oh, not me, Captain. I'm with you. Drop the gun. We'll build a raft and we'll take the risks just like we always do. But you'll not be coming with us. Peggy's gun, Miss Wrench. I like my wine in my belly, Captain. Not a drowning. I don't know, was it the pirate films where Michael Ripper really got a chance to shine? Because in Captain Clegg, he had a really big role too. Yeah, I, I did read that this was one of the to- the few times, or the first times, that Hammer put him more prominently in the film. Which is fine by me. I mean, bring us more Ripper. Yeah. You mentioned Disney, getting a Disney feel off this. Of any character in this film, if they were going to take one of them and drop them into the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, I want a Michael Ripper figure. Because he was, <laughs> he was, it would be perfect for that ride. All right, matey. <laughs> <laughs> Get into the people mover. <laughs> I do like his line, something about, I I appreciate the wine in my belly, not swimming in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was that a dig at Oliver Reed? 
I don't know. <laughs> oh, Ollie. <laughs> you rascal. I'm sorry, Ollie. <laughs> I had fun with the movie. I think I like Captain Clegg a little bit more just because of Cushing. But I feel like this one had a lot more action. Yeah, it's an interesting concept going on with this movie with the fact, too, that they're taking the pirates. I mean, we've discussed this earlier with, you know, not having the hammer, not having the money for for a boat, things like that. They take the pirates off the water and put them nowhere near the water until the very end, except for one or two parts. So you got them enacting this whole uh, raid on a village. It's on an island still. But, yeah, they're pulling off this raid. That's not something you typically see in a pirate movie. They're usually swinging around through the uh, rigging and stuff like that on a ship. So it was interesting to see them pirates taking out of their usual settings. Yeah. When I started the film, I totally expected some high seas pirate ship adventure, but while watching this film, I didn't miss it. Yeah. Even though that's what I expected it to be. Cause I didn't do any research before watching the film. Usually uh, for this uh, podcast, I try to watch the film knowing the least amount about it as possible. Right. And so I didn't know that they were under budget constraints of not being able to have a pirate ship. Yeah, and usually I'm not well-versed in pirate movies. I mean, majority of my pirate movie experience comes from Disney. Usually you see them, though, it's, it involves a ship. Most of the time spent on land is burying their treasure, things like that. Things like Treasure Island. I did enjoy that aspect of it, though, that this was something, this was like in a siege on a village. Yeah, I'm with you guys, too. I didn't realize going into that they had issues with the budget, even though I didn't see. I mean, I suppose it helps that you have the the boat during the opening scene, uh, credits, right? Yeah. Yes. So you, you get the implication that there's a boat, which was stock happen. footage. <laughs> so at least you have that going for it. But yeah, I never really felt like, boy, they really do need a boat. So I guess in that regards, it was successful. Yeah, I was caught up in the story and and didn't care that they weren't having that aspect of pirates. What did you think of Kerwin Matthews? <laughs> little, a little wooden. Both he and especially Glenn Corbett as Henry. What a shame, too, right? Mm-hmm. Don't take it so hard, Jonathan. I should have stayed to look after him. They'll kill him, Henry. Perhaps that's why he stayed. If the statue goes, I don't believe your father would wish to live. Why not? In his mind, he's protecting the statue. Not because it's gold. Don't you think he sees the religion and ideals of your great-grandfather in the process of being destroyed? Yes, but... Maybe all this has opened his eyes to the truth. Back in the settlement, he was too weak to fight the men who've long since forgotten why we came here. What a shame. The pirates, the people playing the pirates were so colorful, so full of life, and really embodying, for lack of a better term, a stereotypical movie pirate, which was fun. They were it, they looked like they were having a blast playing those roles, where Kerwin yeah. Matthews and Glenn Corbett seemed like it was more of a job throughout the film. Which is kind of odd, because if you read interviews with Kerwin Matthews, he talks about how much fun it was to make movies in London. He was having a great time. And how could you have not had a great time making this film with who was on set with you? Right. Yeah. Like the whole thing with the, when they were breaking out of the prison camp was awfully wooden. There was that, no sense of fear. There was no real tension at all. That whole sequence was just bizarre for me. Don't know why. Don't know why it fell flat. Yeah, there was supposed to be a lot larger scene with um, a, a riot that Jonathan was going to lead 
you know, they show the scene where he's getting the food and he ends up throwing it back in the guard's face. That was supposed to lead into a giant fight between prisoners and guards. And that was another thing that got cut down either for budgetary reasons or because it was scheduled to be kind of bloody. Oh, can we talk about the piranha? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Disney, (laughs) because the way that they did the piranha look as them coming towards them, looked exactly out at Disneyland right now on the Jungle Cruise. They have piranhas attack your boat where they have water spraying up. And you actually can see the piranhas jumping out of the water where in here you can't. But it it was the same looking effect. And it's like, oh, I'm on the the Jungle Cruise again. (laughs) Really? Yeah. <laughs> just the water shooting up. So nice. I thought it was funny that they reused that shot a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. They show it there at the beginning with uh, Jonathan's um, uh, the woman that he's making time with jumping into the the river and being attacked by the piranha. And then later on, near the end, the climax of the film, they come back to the same river. And like I said, I was watching the film with Tracy, and I, I told Tracy, I said, those piranha are coming back. And, yeah. <laughs> of course, they do. And uh, I think after I finished watching the film, I uh, sent uh, uh, Derek just a, a quick note that all I said was, Chekhov's piranhas. <laughs> <laughs> you show the piranha at the beginning, you've got to have them come back at the end. Exactly. I had problems. The one problem I have with the piranha is... It, I reached a point there when they were going back with the statue across the river, and then I started thinking. It hit me. It's like, well, they crossed that earlier. They are up to their armpits in water. Where were the piranha? Yeah. Well, it's a different part of the river, I guess. The piranha don't hang out there. It's <laughs> <laughs> not. But they were out for coffee. <laughs> or the, um, the tube <laughs> that was stretched under the water that was shooting air through to push the water up wasn't available. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when they show the piranha at the beginning, or they don't even show it, but when they have the piranha scene, what well, I thought it was, I was like, wow, they just killed a woman. That they went there. That's yep. interesting. So well, I guess I appreciated, now I'm saying I like watching a woman get killed by piranha, but <laughs> I guess I appreciated that, that they did take that risk, that chance. And it was pretty bloodless. You didn't see anything. You just hear a scream, and Andrew Kira says, oh. Judgment. I will be done. Yeah, you see. Well, you did see a bucket of paint floating around in the water. Exactly. But compared to what you see at the end with Andrew Cure sitting there floating in the red. Yeah. A little bit. That was a good scene. Oh, that That was was a good take. Yeah. Andrew Cure, what did you think of him? I really liked him. Yeah, me too. He was really good. He was very. You could tell that uh, he was very religious and he was going to stick to his guns, especially once the pirates had the statue and he had the chance to escape and didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Goes down with the religious figure. Yep. It's a good, it's a good uh, sign of the performance he's putting on because you kind of, as you're sitting there watching it, you're kind of feeling like you want to smack him because it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. You yeah. can go. <laughs> you're good now. <laughs> I get more and more impressed with Andrew Keir the more films that I see him in. Not just the Hammer films, but like when Casey and I did that Doctor Who film, I loved him in that. It was good to see him in this. I liked him. And I know Kerwin Matthews really liked working with him as well. The one scene I wanted to ask you guys about is the blindfold fight. What did you guys think of that scene? There's there's a scene where two of the pirates are fighting over Bess, 
uh, Jonathan's sister. And LaRoche basically puts him in a fight to the death. Each one of them has their sword, but they're blindfolded in the middle of the meeting room there and have a fight. What do you think of that fight? It was very piratey compared to some of the other stuff that we've seen either. But no, because this was a decidedly non-Disney feeling aspect of this movie. Cause, but it was, I stick to it, it felt very piratey because they're fighting over a woman and they don't stop, stop and say, hey, she's a woman. You're not going to fight over her like that. She's not material. She's like, it's okay. We have ways to solve this. One of you two is going to die. <laughs> Yeah, the fighting over a woman, that still didn't bring me out of the Disney feel I had overall, because when they first built the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction, there are scenes where pirates are chasing women. It has since been changed, but in the original version that was there, which would have been about the time of these films. So that didn't bother me, or didn't take me out of the Disney film. But as soon as they started the fight, that, I mean, the only thing they could have done different, which I kind of ex- thought they were going to do when they were bringing them together, was tie their other hand together. Right. I, I really thought that's where they were going. It was cool, too, though, the just like the aspect of the fight, too. They had them blindfolded, and then they were just set loose and say, take care of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I was also expecting what Scott was saying, that they would be tied up, the, the hands would be tied up. But other than that, I enjoyed it. And I was wondering if you were going to bring up the... Uh, sexism in the early parts of the Caribbean. The change they made was one of the women is chasing a pirate at the end of the sequence. Well, there's there's a scene where you're going by this old building and then up in the windows you see pirates chasing women. And there's like th- two or three of them, uh, sets of them. Well, they've changed it now where the women are chasing the pirates and the women are holding brooms or something trying to chase the pirates out of the building. So there's no pirates chasing women at all? No. Oh. Darn PC. I know, right? Us white <laughs> men need to band together and... <laughs> wow. Now, another quote-unquote Disney thing that you've already mentioned, what did you think of the Ewok battle? <laughs> I definitely got a Return of the Jedi feel when the, the pirates are taking the statue through the, the woods. <laughs> and one of the ways that the... <laughs> The <laughs> the Huguenots are fighting back is by cutting down trees and falling the trees on the pirates. Each Peter bikes yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't realize he could cut down a tree that fast with a, with an axe, and that that seemed to be a lot. Like, how did they do that without the pirates knowing? I would imagine that would take a lot of make a lot of noise, right? They're Huguenots. What do you expect? Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, you know. well, I figured they were out there in the trees, you know, long before they got there and, and got them to where it would only take one or two more strikes for the tree to fall down. Then they were running around giving them the final blows. Yeah, they had been hiding out there for a bit, so you never know. Because they were also able to build a pit full of bamboo spikes. <laughs> that, that couldn't have uh, uh, taken more than, what, 10 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I do I'd find a use for these sharpened bamboo spikes someday. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't dislike it, so, so don't get me wrong there, but it did seem a little like, really? Yeah. I mean, they were really trying to show the fact that the Huguenots were fighting basically guerrilla style, fighting mm-hmm. with what they had. And I can appreciate that part of it, but what they, how they did it, how, how they pulled it off was kind of questionable. Agreed. Now, you said you wanted to bring something up at the very end. Did you want to talk about the mutiny? Is that what you wanted to talk about? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Because the the mutiny seemed kind of shoehorned into me. 
I mean, they kind of foreshadow it a couple times with uh, Michael Ripper's character and a couple of the other pirates talking about how LaRoche wasn't doing his share of the work, but he was going to get a big cut of the profits. And they yeah. they kind of, it's mentioned a couple times, but I didn't really buy into the fact that, that what little they were talking about would lead them into a mutiny at the end which seems to fall apart very quickly. When they first started talking about the mutiny, I, I also had that same vibe. Like, like wh- what? It seemed to come out of the blue for me. Yeah. Yeah, because leading up to that, when they started talking about mutiny, that sounded like everybody was on board with the plan, and they were pretty happy of their pirate life. Right. I mean, Michael Ripper's calling everybody Métis, you know, everybody's getting along. Yeah. Of course, when they did bring it up, then they couldn't stop talking. They couldn't have a scene with the pirates in which somebody didn't give somebody a look. Yeah. You know, it was, it was pretty... Heavy-handed. Like I said, I thought it was kind of shoehorned into the plot. Was it even necessary, I wonder? No, I I don't. I don't, I don't think it was needed. Because it really doesn't go anywhere. I mean, they take LaRoche captain, captive, excuse me, uh, Michael Ripper gets the drop on him. But as soon as that happens is when the Huguenots attack at the end and it just becomes an all-out fight. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's mutinying or whatever. Mutinying, is that a word? It is now. The mutinying. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, what did you guys think of the film? Would you recommend it? I'm not sure that I would recommend it, but at the same time, if you came with stumbled across it on cable or something, or if you already had the DVD set, it's it's worth sitting down to watch, but it's not one I'd necessarily recommend to go seek out. You know, I think that's kind of where I'm at, too. There are things about it that are enjoyable, but I don't know if it's one that, like Casey said, I would say, you must see this. You yeah. know, if, if I'm trying to get somebody to watch a Hammer film with Christopher Lee, of course we'd go to the Draculas. But even if we weren't going to a, a you know, a horror film per se, I'd go to one of their many Hitchcocks that he's in, you know, or something like that. I don't know if I'd go to Pirate, although he makes an impressive Pirate. If you are a Christopher Lee fan and you've seen those other films already, you know, yeah, I, I like you, you. I would put those above. But if you want to see Christopher Lee playing something completely different from those films, I would recommend this one. Because he's very good in this film. And it's oh, also a lot of fun to see a lot of the other uh, big names in Hammer playing pirates. And obviously having fun playing pirates. Sure. Like I said, it's the greatest hits, you know, and everybody but Cushing's are. And he was off uh, wor- getting ready to work on um, Captain Clegg. So he was yeah. in the pirate mode, too. He just was off doing a different thing. That'd be a cool double feature, the two of those together. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Don't get me wrong. I think Lee does an amazing job in this film. I think he's great. Just, I think, some of the other cast. I mean, we, we talked about the Hammer regulars. Those guys are great. But Kerwin Matthews and Glenn Corbett, especially Glenn Corbett, just feels way too American. You know, he's got that all-American voice. It just doesn't seem to fit, you know? Yeah, and unfortunately, I never buy Kerwin Matthews' Jonathan Standing as Andrew Keir's son. They're so much different. But I thought it was a fun film. I'm glad I watched it. I don't know if I'll be going back anytime soon to watch it again but you know in a few years if i'm flipping through cable and this happens to be on i'll probably stop and watch part of it again i I wouldn't turn it off yeah i'd watch parts i'd watch the woman get eaten by the piranha (laughs) 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 so what i'm hearing is this film will not uh, be replacing any of the top fives on any of our lists i think that's a fair assessment yeah probably not but still, I'm glad we watched it. it. Makes me curious about the other Hammer pirate movie, uh, the Devil Ship Pirates. I wonder if there's a boat yes. in that one, <laughs> or excuse me, a ship. A ship. 
Well, unfortunately, that's not on our 2016 show schedule, which we finally have made public. You know, why don't we go ahead and go over that real quick, because we are going to lose Casey here in a couple of minutes. Right. That's yep. That was why I went to that uh, that awesome transition there. <laughs> what a brilliant segue. Yes. You, sir, are a podcast legend. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll go over that, and then we'll let Casey go. And then Scott and I have some feedback to go over, too. So we'll do that without Casey, if that's okay with you. That's That's fine. fine. This time. This time. All right. So um, starting, of course, here in January, we had the Pirates of Blood River. Next month is uh, Casey's birthday pick. And Casey, you want to share what you've picked with uh, the listeners? Sure. Put me on the spot. (laughs) The Kiss of the Vampire. The Kiss of the Vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Kiss of the Vampire will be our February episode. Um, In March, we're going to go back in time. As you can tell, I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, in April, we're going back, or March, we're going back in time for prehistoric women. Uh, April, we have the two faces of Dr. Jekyll. Uh, May, we have another uh, film that features Michael Ripper up front, The Reptile. June, The Horror of Frankenstein. Uh, July, we're going to go back to the film noir category with The Unholy Four. Yay, I've seen that one. I like it. (laughs) August, we have The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. I love my mummy. In September, To the Devil a Daughter. Do you know anything about To the Devil a Daughter? Uh, it's a sequel, a sequel to um, The Devil Writes Out, isn't it? Are you being serious? I thought That's what I thought. No, it's not a sequel, but it is written by the same guy. Okay. Or the novel, anyways, based on a Dennis Wheatley. Okay. Uh, I think it's Dennis Wheatley. And it does feature Christopher Lee, and it's got a very young Natasha Kinski in it. Wow. So um, just going to put that out there, and when we watch the movie, you'll know why I mentioned that she was very young. Okay. Are you saying not legal? It was a different time. Okay. <laughs> well, that uh, something I guess to look forward to maybe <laughs> in September. <laughs> uh, following that in October, we have Taste the Blood of Dracula. Yes. And then to follow up in November is my birthday pick, which I've got a couple of ideas, but I'm not willing to show my hand quite yet. And then in December, we have Derek's birthday pick, which he hasn't uh, revealed yet either. I've got a couple of ideas. I can't decide which way I want to go. But uh, those you'll find over at our website. We've got them uh, listed in the episode list. So you can check and if you don't remember everything we covered, if you want to see, that's where you can find it. Okay. So before we let you go, how can people find you on the internets? If they look in my office, that's generally where I'm at. You can well, find me on that's Twitter. Helpful. That's helpful. <laughs> you yeah. can find me on Twitter at KCBGH. You can find me at uh, some of my other podcasts at cinemafromage.com and bloodygoodhorror.com. So uh, there's going to be a new episode of The Instamatic out there. And I'm hearing rumors that uh, Radio Free Fromage may be coming back. So, Or if you want to see uh, Casey in his office, please check out secretcameraincasey'soffice.com. It's two ninety five <laughs> a minute. <laughs> Actually, if you're a Patreon subscriber for Bloody Good Horror, you can see me weekly on our live video feed. So I don't recommend it because, you know, this is me live. You don't really need to see it. 
Somebody go out and buy Secret Camera in CaseySoffice.com. Please, one of you two buy that. <laughs> well, I can't buy it. It wouldn't be a secret then. Oh, that's true. I'll edit that part out so you don't get to hear it. <laughs> Casey, thanks for uh, doing this with us, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. We'll see you next Enjoy month. Your feedback. Alrighty. Bye. We'll let him go. Let's kick him off. Oh, wait. He's still there. Okay, now he's not. Now he's not. <laughs> he really did hang up. I was just going to say goodbye and then really edit. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now that Casey's gone and that beard. That beard will linger. That beard. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So we've got some feedback from Greg Allensworth. Subject heading is greetings from 2012. This was sent to us last month after we recorded December's episode. That's why we didn't get to it until now. Uh, and before we get into the email, Greg... Thank you. He knows why. Yes. Thank you, Greg. It uh, will come in very handy in the, in the putting together of downplays. That's right. So uh, let's see. I'm just going to dive into this and, uh, unless you wanted to read it. No. Go right ahead. Okay. Hey, folks. I discovered 1951 downplays several weeks ago from an advertisement on Monster Kid Radio. Ah, see? Huh? I've never heard of that show. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty – it's okay. 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 Uh, which in turn he discovered via the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, which makes me wonder if Greg's local to me, if he went to the Lovecraft Film Festival, if he's in the Portland, Oregon area. If so, hello, fellow Oregonian. Anyway, back to his email. I'm listening to the episodes in sequence, and I'm wrapping up number 12 now. That's Hell is a City, immediately after number 11's Twins of Evil. Thus my quip about being from 2012. Some of these running gags are probably long gone. Your episode for The Vengeance of She may or may not be in my future, and your past, and so on. I'm loving it. For starters, it's been educational from episode one. I honestly didn't know that Hammer did anything other than monster flicks. Finding out that they did Robin Hood films and wars was enlightening. So right off the first episode, thank you. Some thoughts from 2012. Messages from a fan of your ancient past. Mystery Science Theater. I agree with all three of you. In a sense, it's disrespectful to mock films. But then again, some really deserve no better. But if it weren't for making fun of these films, so many of them would never have come to me. Similarly... Ten movies for $5 DVDs are an insult to the film studios and actors, but are how I ever discovered Satanic Rites of Dracula. Twins of Evil. Yeah, Cushing is scary and different here. While it's a twist finding out that Karnstein really is into black magic and the like, he's no worse than the so-called hero. Definitely an evil versus evil thing going on here. No good guys. They're the real Twins of Evil. I think Scott said that. <laughs> I think that's right. Right? I believe so. Hound of the Baskervilles. Peter Cushing played Sherlock Holmes. Holy hell, I got to check that out. Thanks for the tip. I sure hope he's checked it out. Yeah, I hope so. He's really good. I still need to go back and watch some of the TV episodes, so the TV show that he did, which was not Hammer, but still, you know, anything with Peter Cushing. You know, he wraps up. So, yeah, keep up the great show, guys. I know you have been keeping it up, and I'm really enjoying my journey catching up to you. The first thing I would like to say to anybody that goes back to our episode one and, and, and going through catching up, Thank you. I think it's kind of a running joke with all podcasters that the minute somebody says, I've been listening to you since episode one, or I went back and listened to your old episodes, we go, oh, oh, <laughs> because I feel like we have evolved since then. I still kind of regret the way I put together episode one with running music through the entire episode. Only did that the one time. <laughs> <laughs> I, much. I had forgotten you did that. Uh, it's, 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 uh, but then we're creative people. We were podcasters and we're always thinking, man, you know, two years ago when I did that show, I could have done it so much better. So Greg, thank you for sticking with us. Now you sound like George Lucas and we're going to create special editions of our shows. No, that's not <laughs> happening. 
You take my microphone away from me in the minute I start talking about that, okay? But yes, thank you so much, Greg, for the feedback, and I'm glad that you are enjoying the old uh, episodes, and hopefully uh, you will eventually catch up and uh, hear some of the other shows, that are other types of movies that Hammer got into, like maybe pirate films. Or some of the other running guys. Like, yes. I don't know when Scott Bayo started, but... <laughs> and he didn't mention Four-Sided Triangle, so... Oh, man. So, yeah, that was... Have we been going that long? 2012? Yeah, I cool. think I'm trying to remember when our first episode came out. September 2011. Wow, was our first episode. Impressive. Yes. Congratulations, Scott, on running a great podcast with us. Yes. Congratulations, Derek, for this awesome podcast, and congratulations to Casey for a wonderful beard <laughs> and the work that you've done on Down Place. <laughs> Let's see. You mentioned Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, I think we're kind of all on the same page there. I know you're the, the Uber fan. I know Casey really likes it, and I kind of go back and forth, but uh, you go through there. But in the $5, 10 movie packs, Mill Creek, the quality's not that good, but sometimes it's the best that we got. Yeah. And I, I, I still stand by what I said about uh, Mystery Science Theater, the, the same thing that Greg talked that's how it got me interested in a lot of these films in the first place. So I think it's good for that. Oh, sure, well. sure. And it's kind th- funny. <laughs> and I, I, I think that's great. The issue that I have is when we go to a movie, say, like on a weird Wednesday here at the Joy Cinema here in Portland or in Tigard, Oregon, and they show the really bad movies. Instead of allowing us to enjoy the film, there are people who think they're the next Crow T robot. And they try to pull the live MST3K thing. And it's like, dude, you're not the professional. Stop. <laughs> I've never done that in public, but I have watched films in the privacy of, of my own house that turned out to be really bad. And I'll start riffing on them myself. Sure. And that's fine. I mean, if you're at home. In fact, back in the day when Xbox used to have that feature with Netflix where you can watch streaming movies in the same room together and kind of chat. Yes. I still have very fond memories of you me was your wife there was it tracy tracy and i don't think brenda watched it i don't think my wife watched it but a few other people were there as well we watched the movie dinosaurus (laughs) i couldn't remember the title but i remember that i will forever remember that because didn't that star the character didn't that have a character named lumpy i believe it did yes yeah i will never (laughs) forget that scott (laughs) that was a very special moment i don't know (laughs) that was a lot of fun Oh, Dumpy. It was Dumpy. Yes. Not Lumpy. Dumpy. <laughs> Dumpy. Lumpy's in uh, Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> and on that <laughs> note. <laughs> oh, if you would like to reach us here at 1951 Down Place, you can call us at area code 765-203-1951. Derek, the 1951 on the phone number represents our show. No. Yes. <laughs> Our website is 1951downplace.com. You can find us in Facebook by searching for 1951downplace. And our Twitter account is also 1951downplace. We mentioned that we've been doing this since uh, 2011. And if you want to be like Greg, you can find links to all of our episodes at uh, 1951downplace.com. That you can do. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> can we wrap up? Sure. Are we done? <laughs> Scott Bayo says we are done. Seriously, if anybody has any connections to Scott Bayo, I would love to have him on the show. I just want to hear him say, this is Scott Bayo, and you're listening to 1951 Down Place. My favorite Hammer podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> with my good friends, Derek, Casey, and Scott. <laughs> Chapter two.